Please join me as we pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your wonderful mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that in him we have full salvation. Please help us now as we look at your word to, to know better how to live out the salvation that is ours, how to live as your people. Please help us to understand what your word says and to put it into practice in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year in the United States, the Barna Group uh, conducted a survey. It was a survey of people who identified themselves as Christians. Uh, so 718 people from, the, from all around the United States were interviewed. And the aim of the survey was to find out if Christians are, and I quote, more like Jesus or more like Pharisees. Pharisees, for the purposes of this study at least, means people who are kind of self-righteous and, and hardened. I'm not convinced that's necessarily what the Pharisees were like in the Bible, but that's what it means for the survey, people who are self-righteous. Uh, so the people were given some statements and they had to put on a scale of one to four how much they agreed or disagreed with the statement. And the statements were supposed to indicate uh, whether their attitudes and their actions were like Jesus or like Pharisees. So some of the statements that were supposed to indicate Christ-likeness are these. I am personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. I see God-given value in every person, regardless of their past or present condition. I believe God is for everyone. I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. Uh, some of the statements that were supposed to indicate the attitude or actions of self-righteousness are these. I tell others, the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. I, I like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. I find it hard to be friends with people who seem to constantly do the wrong things. It's not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. People who follow God's rules are better than those who do not. I thought as I read it that most of the statements were pretty obvious. Uh, and I have to admit, as I read it, I thought, surely the Christians will get this right. But here's what the study showed. Let me quote. The findings reveal that most self-identified Christians in the US are characterised by having both the attitudes and actions researchers identified as pharisaical. Just over half of the nation's Christians, 51%, tend to have both attitudes and actions that are characterised by self-righteousness. On the other end of the spectrum, 14% of today's self-identified Christians, just one out of every seven Christians, showed that they represented the actions, both the actions and attitudes Barna researchers found to be consistent with those of Jesus. The study concludes with a section called What the Findings Mean. Let me quote again. 84% of young non-Christians say that they know a Christian personally. Yet only 15% say that the lifestyles of those believers they know are noticeably different in a good way. This new study helps to explain that gap. It is not surprising that believers miss the mark in terms of representing Jesus because transformation in Christ is so difficult and so rare. Many Christians are more concerned with other people's unrighteousness than they are with their own self-righteousness. It's a lot easier to point fingers at how the culture is immoral than it is to confront Christians in their comfortable spiritual patterns. 
Perhaps pastors and teachers might take another look at how and what they communicate. Do people somehow get the message that right action is more important than right attitude? Do church leaders have a tendency to focus more on tangible results like actions because those are easier to see and measure than attitudes? Finally, the question of authentic faith is a particularly sore topic for many millennials who are often leaving church due in large part to the hypocrisy they experience. Again, no research is a perfect measure, but this study points out a sobering possibility that the perception so many young people have of Christians being self-righteous hypocrites contains more than a kernel of truth. Pretty terrible findings, wouldn't you say? And yet I can see how it could happen, can't you? Um, Self-righteousness is a very easy trap to fall into. It's very easy to sort of go from one, one end of the spectrum to the other. On the one hand, it's very easy to be no different from everybody else around us. And then if you, have to, if you do have to work hard to be different, it's very easy to fall into self-righteousness. And the harder you try to be a godly Christian, the easier it is to fall into the trap. Real transformation in Christ is difficult and rare. We ourselves, I think, find it hard to be noticeably different, but in a good way. What would the non-Christians who know you say about you? Would they say that you're any different to them? Or would they say you're exactly the same? Same lifestyle, same hopes, same dreams, indistinguishable. If they would say that you're different, would they say you're different in a good way? Or would they see you as maybe a nice person who's too busy doing church stuff to be their friend? Or would they see you perhaps as self-righteous, judgmental? Now, of course, other people don't really know us. They can't see our hearts. But the fact remains, it's very easy to be the same as everyone else or it's very easy to be a self-righteous rules person. It's very difficult to be different, but in a good way. So far in this letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul has talked about the magnificent salvation that we Christians enjoy. Once we were enemies of God, but now through the sheer grace of God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are forgiven. When we trust in Jesus, we are united to him and we stand before God with the righteousness of Christ himself. We stand holy before God, without blemish, free from accusation. And Paul has shown the Colossians that there's nothing they can do to add to what Jesus has done. Jesus has done it all to save us. Jesus has done it all to make us perfect before God. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves any more saved. Nothing we can do to improve our spiritual status. Now at this point in the letter, Paul is talking to the Colossians about how to live then as people who are fully saved. How to live as people who have a new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4, we saw the general principle. Paul said, since you have this new life resurrected with Christ, live it. Set your heart on it. Set your mind on it. Paul then went on to talk about what a fully saved person won't do. He said, as, as people, as, he said to the Colossians, you've got to get rid of the sin from your old life. 
Get rid of immorality and evil desires and greed. Get rid of anger and lies. Uh, Jimmy Turnbull told me a good illustration of this the other day. Uh, he said, um, he said, it's like the Colossians have gone from being caterpillars to butterflies. Their old caterpillar life of sin died on the cross with Jesus. In the resurrection of Christ, they're given like a new butterfly life. And, and so they're, they're not to crawl around like caterpillars anymore. No, no, it's time to take to the skies, to, to live out the new life that's theirs. Well, Now in this next section... Paul goes on to talk more about what it will mean to live this butterfly life. He starts off by reminding the Colossians who they are, that they are butterflies. He uses expressions, not about butterflies, but from the Old Testament about Israel. He says that these Colossians are God's people, uh, chosen by God, holy, that is, set apart for God. He says, he says, God dearly loves them. And now Paul uses an image. He says, as God's people these Colossians should dress appropriately it's the image we saw in our kids talk that they should put on clothes befitting God's holy people he's not talking about literal clothes though he's talking about virtues the kinds of attitudes that Christians should have the kinds of ways that they should live and just as we look at this verse together notice with each of these virtues how appropriate they are for people who've done nothing to save themselves. Notice how appropriate they are for people who've been saved by the grace of Jesus alone. So first, first virtue there is compassion. Being able to feel deeply for other people, to empathise with them. Of course, that makes sense as a saved person, doesn't it? If the Colossians know what it is to be a sinner... if they know what it is to have not been able to help themselves, to have been rescued by Jesus... well. How will they see other sinners? Not with sanctimonian pride. They're not going to look down on them. No, no, they will understand them. Empathise, sympathise, have compassion. Uh, there's also on Paul's list kindness. Wanting to do good to others, even if they don't deserve it. Again, it makes sense, doesn't it? As Christians, the Colossians have received kindness from God. They've experienced God's kindness. It's only right they should in turn... Be kind. There's also humility. Humility, very fitting for a saved sinner, isn't it? Not fitting for someone who saved themselves, but very fitting for a saved sinner. The Colossians shouldn't be proud or haughty or self-satisfied. No, no, sinners saved by Jesus should be humble. And next on Paul's list of virtues is gentleness. And not being rough or violent or argumentative. And finally, there's patience, being slow to anger, putting up with things. Again, appropriate qualities for saved people, aren't they? God has been patient with the Colossians. God has been gentle with the Colossians. It's only right that they should respond by putting on gentleness and patience. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Have a look with me. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Therefore, and, and the therefore is there because of the... the Salvation that is, uh, this goes on to say, Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. That's a nice picture, isn't it? That is a winsome person. 
I would like to hang around with this sort of a person. Compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient. Uh, quite often I, I find uh, when I do weddings that people choose this passage for their wedding and it makes sense because the person you're married to would be excellent if they were like this. <laughs> this person is different from what most people are like but different in a good way. They're not all hard and religious. They're not proud. They're not grumpy and bitter and annoyed about living God's way. They're not kind of like the older brother and the prodigal son serving the father, but they don't really love him. They're not sanctimonious and critical of everyone else. No, no, no. This person knows God's kindness and humbly and, and, and thankfully shows that sort of attitude to other people. Winsome picture. Paul goes on to talk about what these virtues will look like in a church, in the Colossian church. And the key again is the way Jesus has treated them. Paul reminds the Colossians, Jesus has forgiven you. And so he says, in response, put up with each other. Put up with each other's differences. Put up with each other's hard edges. And, and forgive each other when you mess up and hurt each other. Verse 13. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And it's a nice picture, don't you reckon? I'd like to be part of a church like this. Where everyone else is like this. A church where people put up with me. A church where people forgive me. I hope I am part of a church like that to a large extent. But, but again, notice this is different, isn't it? This is different to ordinary gatherings of people. This is, this is different to your workplace. It's different to your club or to your sports team, but it's not different in a proud way. It's not different in a self-righteous, sanctimonious way. It's different in a good way. Continuing with the clothing imagery, Paul talks about, um, he tells the Colossians to put on love like a big overcoat. The Colossians should love each other, genuinely value each other, genuinely seek each other's good. Uh, love, Paul says, will, will be like a big covering over all the virtues, making them into one whole united character of godliness, making, it, making them into one whole united church of godliness, verse 14. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Uh, next, Paul talks about the peace of Christ. That, I think, must be the peace that Christ has won for us. We were enemies of God, but through Jesus we are now at peace with God. And, and he talks about how we are now at peace with each other. If you're united to Christ and I'm united to Christ, we are united together. Through Jesus the Colossians have peace with God and peace with each other. So now Paul says, let that rule your heart so that you live at peace with each other. And, and notice, notice what he says, it's not to be done with gritted teeth. It's not to be done with, I really can't stand any of you, but I'll bear with you because uh, I have to, something like that. I, I'm really so much better than any of you, but I'll put up with you people because I have to. No, no, no. It's done, he says, with thankfulness. Thankfulness to what? To God. Why? For fully saving us. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Paul goes on to talk about the word of Christ 
And he says it should dwell richly within the Colossians. The word of Christ here, uh, what's it talking about? I think it's got to be talking about the message of Jesus, doesn't it? The message of the gospel, the message of God's grace, the message of full salvation in Jesus. Uh, He says you've got to reflect deeply on that message about Jesus. Let it sink into your heart, sink into your mind. They need to feel deeply that God loves them. That They need to know deeply that God has wonderfully saved them so it transforms them. A significant part of my job as pastor here is, um, it's a tough job but somebody has to do it, is, is taking blokes out to lunch and uh, having lunch with them and talking uh, through stuff with them. And, and of course, because of the nature of Chatswood and the nature of our congregation, I take a lot of Chinese guys out for lunch. And uh, I've learned over the years that many of the Chinese guys in our congregation have had tiger mums. Tiger mums who set the bar very, very high. Tiger mums who kind of offered love on the basis of performance. Do the second hour of piano practice and then I'll love you as my son or something like that. And uh, what I was trying to do for, for, for many years was to push these guys hard, set the bar high. You, you, you're not a proper Christian until you give this and until you do that and... It, And I soon came to realise that all I was doing was adding to blokes' guilt and even paralysing blokes in guilt. It wasn't until I had a conversation with a particular person and realised what the blokes of our congregation need to know, and I'm sure this is true of their mothers, um, but it's certainly true of God, they need to know that God loves them unconditionally. They need to know that they are saved entirely by God's grace. They need to know that there's nothing they can do and they need to let that transform them. Not setting the bar higher, but knowing more deeply the wonderful, unconditional love of God for them. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, let the word of Christ, of his message of grace, dwell in your heart richly. And that, he says, is what to teach each other. That, he says, is how even to admonish each other, to help each other stay on track. Not with rules, but remembering the amazing love of God. And he says that's, what to, that's something to sing about. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, it's interesting, saved people sing. Saved people sing. They sing praise to God. They sing thanks to God. They sing to each other about the great things God has done. Uh, People who think they have to save themselves have got nothing to sing to God about. People who think they have to follow oppressive rules have got nothing to sing to God about. But saved people sing. Paul sums it all up in verse 17. He says, the Colossians should live their whole lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that is pleasing to Jesus, their boss. That includes all their actions, it includes all their words. All of it should be done under Jesus as Lord. And again, notice, it's not with gritted teeth. It's not with proud hearts. It's not feeling like we're doing God some kind of a favour that we would obey him. It's not feeling burdened and resentful and older brotherish. No, no, no. It's with thankfulness to God 
for fully saving us in Jesus. Verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay. Can you see what's here in this passage today? Paul is telling the Colossians what a fully saved life will look like, what a butterfly life will look like. I reckon it's a winsome picture, don't you? It's different, but in a good way. If I had to summarise in one sentence, I'd say something like this. The Colossians need to treat other people the way God has treated them. The Colossians need to treat other people the way God has treated them. How has God treated them? He's fully saved them through Jesus. He's been compassionate, kind, gentle, patient, forgiven them, loving them, uh, given them peace. And the response should be to remember that, to to delight in that, to dwell on that, to, to, to rest in that. Let it dwell richly in your heart. Let it humble you. Let it fill you with thanks. And then let it flow out into a life of compassion and kindness and patience and gentleness and forgiveness and love. Nice picture, isn't it? And again, notice it's vastly different to what the false teachers were saying. Uh, We saw this last week, but it's worth pointing out again. It's still an entirely different direction, isn't it, from what the false teachers were saying. The false teachers were giving lists of rules to follow and things to do in order to be saved. But it's so clear from what Paul says here that this all flows from being saved. This picture of a thankful person, a humble person, a compassionate person can only flow from grace. You will never be like this if you think you have to save yourself. You'll never be humble about it if you think you've saved yourself. You'll never be uh, thankful about it if you think you've saved yourself. You're not going to have compassion for others if you think you've saved yourself. This has got to flow from salvation. It's not a case of do these things to get yourself right with God. No, no, you are right with God. Here's the appropriate response. Here's how to take to the skies in your butterfly life. Different direction altogether. And notice also the content is still different, isn't it? The false teachers, it was all about measurable rules of external behaviour. Eat this, don't eat that. Touch this, don't touch that. Have this holiday in this time, in this place, in this way. Paul goes much deeper. Uh, These virtues he calls on the Colossians to have, they're not measurable behaviours. I mean, thou shalt have compassion. The lawyers go to town. Upon whom shall I have compassion? How much compassion shall I have? In which context shall I have compassion? It doesn't work with rules. Compassion, patience, kindness, these sorts of things. They're all about the heart. They're all about motivation. They're about what you love and long for. They're about being genuinely transformed by the love of Jesus. And again, it's not a competition. It's not about I'm holier than you. It's not about my theology is better than you or I read the Bible for longer than you or I had more fasting than you or something like that. It's about I, as an utterly undeserving sinner, want to thankfully and humbly show you the sort of love that God has shown to me. Different from the false teachers completely. Different direction, different content and different relational result. Do you know what, friends? This is the person God wants you to be. What Paul is saying to the Colossians here is what God is saying to you and to me. If you are relying on Jesus, you are fully saved, 
You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. You cannot be any more righteous with God than you are in him. There's nothing you can do or have done to deserve or contribute to it. But now you're a butterfly. Take wing. Let the good news of Jesus dwell richly within you. Be filled with thanks to God and respond by humbly, humbly loving and showing grace to others. I look at that Barna study last year and I get it. I understand. I know how easy it is to be not different and I know how easy it is to be self-righteous. I know that it's much easier to attack other people's unrighteousness than, than to reflect on my own self-righteousness. I think I far too often am either undifferent from the world or kind of sanctimonious. But what a shame. Don't you reckon it's a shame? Don't you reckon, don't you reckon it's a shame to be unchanged by this good news of Jesus, to keep crawling around like a caterpillar when you could take to the skies? What a shame. What a shame to be a, a proud, sanctimonious, judgmental, bitter, religious person. What a shame to be a dour, stern Presbyterian when all along there is this magnificent love that should delight us. That, that should fill us with thankfulness and joy and peace. Friends, do you get it? Do you get how much God loves you? Not because you're good, not because you're smart, not because you're anything, not because of the first or second hour of piano practice. God just loves you. Do you get how kind he has been to you for nothing that you have done? Do you understand that it's by his grace alone you stand perfect before him, a butterfly? Well, then let it transform you. Don't worry so much about rules and ceremonies and religion. No, no, let, let God's grace soak into your soul and let it transform you into someone who's different in a good way. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because you have been immensely patient, kind, compassionate, loving to us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for clothing us with the righteousness of Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that this great news of what Jesus has done would dwell fully, richly in our hearts and would transform us to be these winsome people who we've seen pictured today. Father, please keep us from the, the, the laziness of not being any different. Please keep us from the pride of being self-righteous. Help us instead to know your grace and to be transformed by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.